Hi, everyone. I'm Sandra Bragenta, and I'm the host of the Dr. Nurse Podcast, and I am so happy you decided to join me on today's episode. This podcast is a platform for nurses to share their journey as they made their way in the diverse field of nursing as either entrepreneurs, in academia, private practice, or even the corporate world. I think we should celebrate just how diverse the field of nursing is through mentoring one another with the stories of our careers. Nothing is too mundane because each journey is unique. This podcast will address exactly how to make the most of your career and maybe inspire you to make a change if you're looking for something different. I am motivated to see you live your best nursing life, and that looks different for everyone. Let's get started with today's guest. Today, I have the privilege of chatting with Ivy, a family nurse practitioner from Greenville, North Carolina. She graduated with her BSN from East Carolina University in 2001 and worked in various areas of nursing for five years before acquiring her master's degree in 2007. She is currently enrolled in the post-master's DMP program at ECU. As a nurse practitioner, Ivy has worked for 13 years at the CHS Pediatric Office in Greenville, North Carolina. She has a desire to deliver excellent patient care to help her patients achieve optimal health as a family unit. She has obtained her Certificate of Advanced Education in Obesity Medicine with OMA. She sits on their National Pediatric Committee. And for the last eight years, she's been an international board-certified lactation consultant. Ivy enjoys her long-term relationship with her boyfriend, Mark, as well as hiking and photography. Hi, Ivy. Thank you for coming on to the Dr. Nurse Podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. We're going to first start with what's your current role or job title? Explain what you do for a living. So I'm a family nurse practitioner. I've been at the pediatric office I work at for, this is year 13, actually starting year 14 soon. And I'm also a board-certified lactation consultant at that practice, so I actually get to see babies for lactation issues, lactation support, in addition to seeing regular well visits or sick visits. Do you just deal with moms having issues with lactation, latching, or are you seeing anything that walks in the door pediatric-wise? So I can see anything that is what that kind of comes in. So I have 18-year-old patients I see. I have, you know, newborns. In addition to the lactation services, which is a little bit of a juggle sometimes because when moms need help, I tell people they don't need help, you know, Monday through Friday, eight to five. A lot of times they need help on the evenings or in the evenings or on the weekends. And so some of that, I have to be a little flexible at times. Mm. And I've gone in and seen patients on the weekend. You know, if I saw them on Friday or another provider saw them and realized they had issues to sort of accommodate that. But I do have scheduled times for lactation and we try to utilize those first. But I also have been able to use telehealth more. Um, I was one of the first providers at our practice to really start using telehealth and and we've been able to increase that. And so when the pandemic hit, a lot of practices were switching to telehealth options. We were already ahead of the game because I had, wow. had utilized that. And so you're giving care for lactation or just anything that walks in the door with telehealth? So for telehealth, um, I do focus a little more on the lactation part now, but I still will see a lot of my attention deficit 
or behavioral concerns through uh, telehealth. I see um, some rashes, different different little sicknesses like that. You know, I feel comfortable doing through telehealth as well. So you're on the cutting edge of the telehealth journey that the rest of the country is now on, which is pretty cool. What what do you think is great about it? So for a mom who has a baby at home that's having a breastfeeding issue, the thought of having to kind of and sometimes there are certain issues we have to see in clinic, but sometimes I can talk them through things and it's a secure site that we use. They're not having to come into the office. They're able to be right at home. I can see their setup as far as how they have their pillows placed, what options do they have for positioning. So it gives me a little more insight and it's a little more comfortable, I think, sometimes for them versus having to get out and try to get to the office with a newborn I think it's the convenience. A lot of people truly love the convenience. I had a mom actually right before we jumped on who was sending a message through our portal saying, hey, I need to schedule a telehealth for this tomorrow. Can you can you get that scheduled for me? A lot of our parents are really falling in, in love with certain aspects of it being through telehealth. I remember when I was a new mom, you're right, having to juggle the baby bag on top of, did I bring enough toys and oh my gosh, I have the baby, putting him in the car seat. Is he perfectly in the car seat? There's so much anxiety when you're trying to take a newborn that it would be so nice to just be able to open your computer and have somebody there to help you. That's really cool. That's a neat service you guys are offering. So how did you choose what you're doing right now? What was your specific journey to this position and this job? So when my mom, um, well, I was 13 at the time. My mom and I were involved in a very serious car accident and it was driver side impact. She was hit. They estimated uh, we were basically at a stoplight and just started to advance and she was hit in the door. They estimated going 75 to 85 miles an hour. Um, And she was airlifted from our local facility to a level one trauma center and a trauma surgeon saved her life. And so I was 13 at the time and I actually thought I was going to be a trauma surgeon. And when I started looking at that, I realized I wanted a little more interaction with my patient. I started praying about it. And I really felt led to go to nursing school. And so I said, okay, God, if I get accepted to nursing school, then I'm going to trust that's where I'm meant to be. And I was accepted. And I started at East Carolina University, uh, Go Pirates, in Greenville, (laughs) North Carolina. And so I did my bachelor's in nursing. And then I became a nurse on the cardiac intermediate unit, which I loved. And I still am passionate about cardiac nursing. Um, But at the time, I started feeling led to consider the nurse practitioner program. At the time I was on that unit, I worked night. They basically were not going to be able to offer me a day position, and I knew I could not go back to school while working nights. That was just not going to be feasible for me. So a friend said, have you ever thought about newborn nursery? We love it down here. You love kids. And I babysat all through college, and and I do have a passion for children. And I said, okay, I've never thought about newborn nursery, but I'm going to apply and see. And at the end of my interview, the unit manager said, well, normally we have a long list of candidates, but everybody we called had already found another job or just wasn't interested in coming to the nursery. She's like, when can you start? And so I transferred to the newborn nursery. And I remember I started taking some of my basic classes. I was really nervous about applying to the nurse practitioner program. And several of the ladies prayed with me. I said, again, God, if this is your plan, then it's going to, the door is going to open. And it did. And so I started the journey for the nurse practitioner program and I completed that. And in the middle of that, the 
physician assistant that was working with Dr. Holbrook, who was the owner of the practice at the time, one of the owners was going to retire. And they approached me and said, would you like a physician? And I really had not fully considered pediatrics. So I did a rotation with their office and I fell in love with their office. I guess the rest is sort of history. So what made you, because I heard you say, I decided to go be a nurse practitioner. Like, what was that turning point for you? What made you decide I'm interested in this role? I think for me, I knew I wanted to advance my education. I knew I wanted to be a little more um, involved in making the decisions for my patients. I value bedside nursing. I think it's an excellent, it's an excellent role and we need more bedside nurses. I mean, we know that we're in a, a shortage actually right now, but, and I think it's going to probably get worse with the pandemic and, and we're seeing nursing burnout. And so I do value those nur- those nurses and I valued that role and I learned a lot in that that time, but I knew I wanted a little more involvement with my patients. One of the things I didn't like is we take care of them in the hospital and we send them home and we don't have those connections. And I guess I sort of have the mindset of the little country doctor. I grew up in a very rural part of North Carolina and eventually God may lead me back there, but he hasn't yet. I want to know, I want to go to the kids' ball game. I want to be the provider who watches them grow up. And I've had already some patients who were older when I started at at, uh, the practice I'm at who are now coming back with their babies. And so I'm getting to see sort of those generations and, and, and really feel a part of their family at times. And I think that's one of the things that makes us different as nurse practitioners. I think we have that connection piece sometimes that I think sometimes is potentially missing in other healthcare roles. And I love that. Um, I have had kids that have asked me to go to their Christmas programs and I try to find a way to go to their Christmas programs. And, you know, obviously I can't go for every kid and I can't go every year, but those are things that I I think are important to kids. That's one of the things that I also liked about nursing was the ability that I felt like we had to connect to patients in a way that just felt really real and tangible compared to what I saw in physicians where they just kind of walk in, they give a diagnosis, they come up with the plan and they just walk out. I, I felt the same way that like nurse practitioners tended to be more the role of just listening. And I think that goes back to our nursing training and kind of, you know, the nursing empathy that we're taught to just put, put yourself in people's shoes. And it just exudes itself when you're a nurse practitioner, because you don't know how to be any other way, but that way. So it's like, I've just, I've got a little more knowledge. I've got a little more understanding, but I'm still a nurse. And I say that, it's funny you, you, you say it that way, but, you know, I said that to one of my physician colleagues one day and, and her response was, uh, but you're a provider now. And I'm like, but you have to understand, I will always be a nurse. And, and that is our, our mindset. And it is very, very different. You know, I think we, and if you look at some of the studies, um, you know, I'm back in school now and so I'm, I'm juggling a lot of different learning needs and and for myself and and growing in that area. But um, we tend to definitely have that patient focus, which can be bad sometimes because we can, you know, take it to a little extreme. I think some people do, but so it's a balance, but we, we focus more on are there all their needs met? Mm. Does this mom, if you, if you're going to send in this prescription, can she afford that? Are you going to tell her to take this, you know, put this baby on formula and she can't afford a 
$47 can of formula because it's a special brand. Have you really considered that? I think our nursing role as bedside nurses, we're able to sort of work through that and and, and our training in general. I think what you're talking about is the forest through the trees, like holistically. I felt like my training was constantly reminding me holistic viewpoint. Don't just look at the individual issue. Look at the full person. I agree with you 100% on that. So Ivy, give me an example of one of your biggest challenges and one of your biggest successes in your career to where you are now. Ooh, that's tough. Because <laughs> um, I can think of a lot of, of challenges at times. <laughs> so I think for me right now, a challenge that I have, and it's not just um, it's not just in my practice, I want to be very clear about that, but the lactation role sometimes, I think it's very hard for pediatricians or, or providers in the pediatric world to to sort of bring lactation consultants to the table. And I think that they struggle sometimes with that. I think it's easy for them to say, especially if they are female and they've breastfed, I think it's very easy for them to say, oh, I've breastfed a baby and I know this is how it's supposed to go. And sometimes I, I I feel sort of caught in the middle because now I've got a mom who's calling me and they're saying this isn't going well, but yet I have a provider who's saying, well, it's going great and I I think they're doing fine and and I have no concerns. And so I think that's probably my biggest struggle right now is how to find that that happy medium balance. And of course, my patients are always going to come first. And I think some people don't necessarily, um, they see that maybe as negative. Um, that I'm, I'm going to be a little more patient advocate. And so I don't know if that's an ego thing or, or, or what the, the situation is with that. I still struggle with finding out exactly what causes that. I was going to ask you what you think is the reason for the discrepancy um, between what you're getting from the patient and what um, the, you know, the provider is saying. Cause I remember when I was a nurse IV and I would walk into the room or the patient would tell me like my pain is a 10 out of 10. And so I would go like, okay, let me get the doctor. And then I'd walk in with the doctor and the, and the patient would be just like, I'm fine. And I'm like, you did not just tell me like two seconds ago when I was in here that there was a different story and now you're changing it. Do you think it's something like that? Or do you think it's that doctors aren't hearing their patients or other providers aren't truly listening to their patients? Um, because I do, exp- I've also seen that from the from the side of the patient where I've gone to see a provider and I'm describing something or I'm trying to explain something and they're almost like railroading me. I don't know if that's the right word, but they're just like completely ig- ignoring what I'm saying. And I'm like, you're not understanding me. And I know I'm speaking in a way that's very clear. So I do think, I, I think sometimes it, it can be, we're not sitting down and listening with the patient. Um, I've had a couple patients who had breastfeeding issues from the get go. And now I'm just sort of finding out behind the eight ball, so to speak, um, that they were having all these issues. And I think part of it is we just didn't sit down with the, the mom and say, let's talk about what's really going on. Um, I think that that can play a play a huge, huge role. And I think for some women, even now, this is the first they're the first generation of their family to breastfeed. You know, we, we've got a long history of women who were told not to breastfeed for various reasons. And we could have a whole separate conversation on that. 
Um, and so we have some women who they don't have a mom who breastfed. They may not even have a friend who, who breastfed for greater than a few weeks or, or, you know, if they're talking about wanting to do, um, I don't like the term extended breastfeeding, but that's what we call it because I think babies should be able to choose sort of when they, when they're ready to wean, self-weaning, um, not dictated by, oh, they turn a year, boom, let's, let's stop them from breastfeeding. And, you know, some of your big organizations still really say a year, get to a year. And I think some of that is have to have some goals. And so that can be considered a goal for moms because we want them to breastfeed longer. But I also think that for some people in their mind, oh, it's supposed to be a year. And if we get past that year point, you're doing something odd, you know, or it's not beneficial to the baby and the mom. And I'm like, that is not true. So Ivy, can I say something really fast? I sure. actually am breastfeeding a 20-month-old baby. I love um, it. I love it. <laughs> and I so love that you're like totally like pushing this because I get so much slack from coworkers because I still have to pump occasionally at Absolutely. work, not all the time, but sometimes at work I have to pump and people are like, you're still doing that? And I am so emboldened. I'm like, yep. And then I remember... I'll- <laughs> And so I took my little bags of milk and I put them in the refrigerator. No, but like, it was just so funny. And I love that you're supporting this because I feel in my heart, I'm supposed to do this. And I feel it in my soul that Benji and my son's name is Benjamin still needs milk and he hasn't weaned himself off. And so I'm like, whenever he's ready, you know, and by the grace of God, which is complete, it is completely from the Lord that I still have leche. Um, I just decided whenever he's ready, he'll make it clear and then we'll make the move. But I don't feel I, and I am telling you, I've gotten so much slack about it. So it is such, I would love it so much to have a provider like just, you know, encourage me. But if we lived in other countries, it would be totally accepted as the norm. And, and I think that that's, sort of we have to change the mindset of the culture here that it is okay and I think it starts with the the providers and I think it starts with just as much encouragement you know we have a uh, lactation support group that I lead and and you know those moms are, are so so great and um, we we do a once a month zoom right now uh, meeting and they're they're able to kind of support each other because again some of those moms, in that group or that I, I see, they don't have anybody to really be their cheerleader. And it's that's true. sort of the, the role that you have to play. One of the roles as a lactation consultant is you have to play that. And I think for some p- providers, that's really, really hard for them to grasp. You know, what do you mean you're talking to this mom at 730 at night? Well, okay, she had an issue and, and that can't wait, can't really wait sometimes. And, you know, I've been on vacation and, and did a telehealth. Um, from the mountains because the mom had issues and was in tears and that mom's gone on to breastfeed I think we're at we have to at least be at almost at a year now because of the time of the trip and so had she not had that encouragement would she have continued I don't know the answer to that but my mind sort of thinks she may not have or if she'd had the mom there who said well I gave you formula just you know you need rest, give you, you know, because moms, our moms want to be protective of us. And so that's sort of their protective uh, mechanism. Mm -hmm. I had that interesting conversation with my mom as well, where she would kind of go like, 
okay, are you, are you getting enough nutrition? I mean, because they're worried about you're their baby, right? And so uh, they want to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. And that's important for breastfeeding moms to have encouragement, tips on how to keep going, because it is something that, you know, I remember reading a statistic where like one in 10 women are breastfeeding, working moms are breastfeeding at six months, I think it was. Um, and I remember thinking one in 10 moms are breastfeeding at six months that are working. And it's because the system is not built to keep those moms encouraged and to keep them working and also being able to provide, you know, milk for their children. And so you're so run down. Um, But I'm so thankful that my job that I currently have is encouraging of moms and just gives you the space. And so they're like, we need to set your schedule up so that you can go and do this and all that kind of advocacy and and change. So the system is what I think this country needs to do, because if we do think that our children are the most important things and breast milk is an incredible resource for them, then why wouldn't we set up the system to make more moms successful at this. It's not for everyone. And so if this is something that if you're not able to do, or it's hard for you, or you're not having, you're not enjoying this and you want to stop or whatever the reason is, you know, of course we're not pushing right. you know, anything on people, but it's, it's of the, of, it's, it's of my mindset that, man, if we could just have more moms encouraged, then I think that we would have a higher compliance. For example, I have a friend who's a PA who, who led, legitimately told me um, she had to stop breastfeeding because her son's breastfeeding time was cutting into her patient load and how much she would get paid per patient. And so she looked at how much formula would cost versus seeing the patients that she could see. And she said that she was going to be making more money to see the patient than to continue breastfeeding. And I was like, why is the system designed this way? Yeah, this Maybe. mom would have continued breastfeeding if it wasn't for her job. And it was just, it's just disheartening. The other Go thing ahead. too, I'll say this, you know, we, we have a country that, you know, I'm big on uh, pediatric obesity. I sit on the OMA's uh, pediatric committee and uh, which is a national board. And, you know, that's, that's a passion I have. Well, it's very linked to breastfeeding. We know that those babies tend to have lower issues with obesity later on in life and, and and it helps so many benefits to mom too but we need to look at our our society and I think if that's one thing the pandemic has taught us we have a, a problem with people who have obesity and are overweight let's say it the right way yeah we have a problem they need help and and so I think it's very easy to say get out there and exercise get out there and choose a healthy diet. And that doesn't address all the issues. That is important, important components. But we need to go back to the drawing board and say, what are the things we can do? And one of the things we need to do is we need to promote breastfeeding. We're helping in that issue and start with that. And I tell, I give a lecture and I say, when does obesity management start in the pediatric population? And a lot of people say, oh, well, when they're two, or I have different answers that I've been given. But I always say it starts when mom's pregnant, because mm. we need to address with her how important it is for her to breastfeed for her health and also for her baby's health. Wow. You start to realize that this starts even before you come out of your mom's womb, that this programming is going on inside your cells. I, I don't disagree with you. I think that you are... 
100% correct. And I think it does require uh, a shift. And I think we have to create systems that allow women to be able to comply with something that is so important to the beginning of your life to the end. Like it begins to shape the trajectory of where you go. So we talked a little bit about your biggest challenge. What about one of your biggest successes? I think for me, some of my biggest successes have actually been through my patients. I have some patients, you know, I I mentioned the obesity that I I really have a strong passion for that. I have a few patients right now that have really struggled and we are really on the right track and they're making such good, healthy choices. And I I can sort of feel like I'm a part of their success. And so to me, knowing that they're going to be healthier, I consider that a successful moment as a provider. I think going through the the, uh, certification for my lactation, and at the time I didn't have as much support as I I have more support now, but um, that was a challenge. And and I think, wow, I was actually pretty successful to to make it and, and to pass boards on the first time. And so I think there's been little successes along the way. I wouldn't necessarily say I've had one giant success, although some people might say different. But And you said you're currently going to school right now? So I made the decision after a lot of, um, I don't want to say pressure, but they did. Um, I was teaching for um, ECU and also I teach some for UNC as well, just classes here and there. But I have students. I have nurse practitioner students I have for years. I'm very passionate about having students. Um, it's very difficult for a nurse practitioner program to find placement for a P, for for pediatric and I actually have three ECU nurses nurse practitioner students right now in one semester so it's been a challenging but a good semester there there are three great students are going to be awesome additions to the the profession and I'm excited for them but um I made the decision that I should consider going back for my doctorate because when I came through the ECU program was a master's level and there's a couple reasons for that. One is if my students are going to be held at that, that level, I should be at that level. And the second reason is it opens the door if I ever decide I want to teach more. There are certain positions in you know universities that I wouldn't be qualified with just a master's. Ivy, I think that is amazing. I have my doctorate. And the name of this podcast is the Dr. Nurse Podcast because I feel so passionately that as nurses, we should reach the highest level of education that we possibly can. And I love to hear when nurses are like, I'm not done. I'm going to keep going back and I'm going to keep learning because I believe that we set ourselves apart. It's necessary, but it is something that I think shows other, you know, students like you're saying, or other providers that I don't, I take my nursing career very seriously. And I have pushed myself to get, get everything I can from this educational process that I have a career in. Um, And so I admire that so much. That makes my heart so happy to hear because it was the same heart and motivation that drove me to get my doctorate as well. Well, thank you for that. Any mentors? Do you have anybody helping you along the way? So I will say this. I've always loved ECU and I knew, you know, this is my third degree from them. And some people say, oh, you should go to a different school. And I just knew that I needed to go after going through the master's program there and how 
well I was trained and how passionate they are. I knew that was where I wanted to go for my doctorate. And my parents, unfortunately, had COVID um, in November. And ECU had actually, as part of trying to figure out how do we do, do school with the pandemic, had students start early and end the semester um, by Thanksgiving. And my parents got sick the Sunday after Thanksgiving. And so I've always said that that was a blessing that, you know, if they had to get sick, I mean, it was all, it's still bad. My mom still has a lot of health problems from it, but God just sort of made sure that that was protected. But with that said, so many of the professors, as soon as they found out immediately, what can we do? What do you need? How can we help you? You know, your semester's done. Don't, but if you need something next semester or even, even in between. And so you know, Dr. Tillman is my advisor, but I consider her a, a good friend. Dr. Michelle Skipper, she's the head of the program. I mean, she's been great. And then Dr. Um, Hodges, she, she's a friend. I, we actually went through the master's program together and she's had her doctorate for a while, but um, she was really encouraging me to go back and, and they've all just really supported me. And, you know, wow. even, even through this semester, just sort of checked in, are you okay? I was very hesitant to take two classes this semester, just with everything going on with my parents. And I'm not going to lie. There's some days I'm like, I don't know how I'm keeping all those glass balls up, but the Lord does, and I'm going to trust him. But they encouraged me. They said, I think that, you know, they said, Abby, we think you're going to be fine, but if you get into trouble, you talk to us and we will let you take an incomplete or we'll, we'll figure out whatever we need to do at that point. And so I, as of right now, now not everything's turned in. I have two A's in those classes and I just, I give it, I think it's just really um, their encouragement that I can do this. You know, balancing things is hard. There's some nights that, you know, it's, it's a long night and I'm working through lunch on a paper and, you know, but I see that light at the end of the tunnel, I can't get it out. I'm very glad that I went ahead and did that because it would have delayed. It, it, I think you actually would have ended up delaying my graduation a little bit. Really, really proud of you. Thank you. Last question. Um, what advice do you have for any nurses that are just starting off in their careers? I think two things that I, I really think we don't address enough with, with new nurses, and that's whether you're a new, brand new nurse or if you're now in a new role as a, as a nurse practitioner, you need to make sure you have self-care and you need to accept that it is okay to take care of you. I think it's really easy to get burnt out. I think during the pandemic, we've seen that at much higher levels for many reasons, but I also think that nurses tend to be the ones who take care of themselves last. The reality is, is we have to put ourselves first. And I'm still learning this. So there's plenty of times that I don't put, put Ivy first. So, I mean, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here on this. But you definitely have to learn self-care. I think that self-care is vital. That can maybe mean 10 minutes of a walk or, you know, one of the things I've learned to do is no matter how crazy my day is at the office and I can have days where I work, I mean, I, I'm booked through lunch. Sometimes when you've been there for a while, it's, you have a lot of patience and it's, it's a little bit harder. I don't, I don't say no very easily. But what I'm learning is it's okay to take 10 minutes to go to stretch and stand outside and just take a deep breath. It's okay to take a few minutes and, and meditate. I love yoga. Um, I keep a yoga mat in my office. Sometimes it's nothing more than a few minutes of yoga or I have about 10 minutes to play. And so I think that's the number one thing I would say is, is self-care. But I also would say make sure you take care of your family too because I think it's very easy to put 
your family below other people sometimes, uh, especially if you're in an advanced practice role. I think I see that a little more with that because the one thing about being a nurse at the hospital, if you're a bedside nurse, you clock out. And for the most part, you don't always take it home. You may take emotions home. You may take some of that home. One of the things um, I have on my door as I come in from the garage is you're home now. It's okay to breathe. And I have that up there. And I I literally sometimes just look at it and say, okay, I'm home now. Everything is at the office. Yes, some breastfeeding questions may come up. Yes, some other things may come up. But I'm home and I and so oh, I think putting your family um, up there and yourself. Alrighty. So the last part of this podcast is just rapid fire questions. I'll do uh, three questions of quick rapid fire questions and then we'll wrap it up. What is your most used emoji? Oh, a heart. And what book are you currently reading? So I am currently reading um, the new book and I can't remember the title of it. It's just come out. Um, oh my gosh, I can't remember. I just got it yesterday and I just started it. It's um, it's a family that does the, um, the Christmas jammies. Have you seen them? No. Um, Okay, they're so hilarious. But anyway, they actually live in North Carolina, which is where I'm from. And um, they wrote, they just, Finn, Finn is the guy's name. Oh, I'll have, to, I'll have to send it to you, but it's a great book. Well, I've okay. only read a little bit. It's awesome. Okay. And then if you could win an Olympic medal for any sport, real or fake, what would it be? <laughs> so I am not athletic. <laughs> um, so I would probably say if I could be great at any sport that I would love to be great at skiing. I've always wanted to be a great Ah. skier, but I am not talented. And so I've broken both my feet and other (laughs) accidents. This might not be. I'm not sure I need to get on skis. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today and chatting with me. It's been an absolute joy. You are so amazing. And I'm so just your I'm your fan with getting your doctorate degree. Well done. Keep going. Um, we can do hard things. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for coming on and uh, we'll catch you next time. Sounds great. Well, we're at the end of our time together. I hope you enjoyed the chat. The Dr. Nurse podcast is on Instagram. So please follow us there for any updates on new podcasts and some information to follow up on the podcast. Please leave a comment down below if you like this podcast or if you have another great idea for a topic you want to hear in the future. Thanks for listening. And just a reminder, the information in this podcast is for educational purposes only, and the information should not be used in substitute for professional medical care by a provider. The information in this podcast does not represent medical or professional advice or services. Thanks for listening.